Before I begin, I just want to describe one of the bases upon which all my work rests, and that's the fact that the unconscious psyche is incredibly powerful and influential in the life of a human being, and by extension, the life of societies and cultures. The second thing that's important to understand is how projection works. The general idea is when a person is confronted by something that they are fascinated with, the first thing to note is that that fascination is a byproduct of the unconscious. It's not a conscious decision, as anyone who's been fascinated by some subject will readily understand. Past ages have described it as being driven by having a genius guide you. Current ages describe it as an addiction or a compulsion or a neuroses, but talking about the same thing basically. The first point I want to surface is this idea that our fascinations come from the unconscious. They don't come from conscious willpower. Something in the unconscious is driving us to be intrigued by this concept or be fascinated by this idea or image, etc. The hypothesis I'm offering is that the instinct or the unconscious psyche knows something that you don't. It can see where your own blind spots are. It can see where your own deficits are. It can see where your conscious attitude is leading you to be extremely one-sided in an unhelpful way or unhealthy way. The fact that we are fascinated by this or that is actually wholly impulse from the unconscious that, if explored, can reveal and lead us to a place where we need to go. A second thing I want to surface is this idea that our ego itself is a structure of the unconscious psyche that's created by the unconscious in order for consciousness to be able to develop. I'll later talk about what the qualities of the unconscious are versus the conscious mind and what distinguishes the two from each other. But the general idea is that consciousness is able to distinguish A from B. And in fact, the ability to distinguish is what makes consciousness consciousness. The flip side is, what is unconsciousness? Unconsciousness is the union of what otherwise could be discriminated. It's the conflation of opposites into a single idea or image. I'll get later to the pros and cons of both, but fundamentally they're both important pieces to the puzzle of the psyche. One isn't greater than the other. They're interdependent, basically. But the key point is that unconsciousness, unconscious processes, developed in such a way that consciousness emerged. And and we can hold the hypothesis that consciousness developed for a damn good reason, namely, let's put it this way. While I know it's difficult to consider the unconscious as having a intention, one can speculate that the unconscious wanted to see itself. The idea is that the unconscious, hypothetically, has been moving to be able to see itself. It wanted to be known, basically. The conscious ego was developed, was split off from unconsciousness, and is specifically like a bubble that consciousness exists within that bubble and the unconscious exists outside that bubble. If unconsciousness were to pierce that bubble, then consciousness would cease to exist. And yet the unconscious is able to, in a way, see itself through the actions of the conscious ego. Because when the conscious ego takes a position of either or, A or B, when the conscious ego discriminates between A and not A, or between red and blue, then this has an impact in the unconscious. The unconscious experience is a compensatory response to whatever consciousness is seen. While the unconscious does not acquire the contents of whatever is being experienced within the bubble of consciousness, it nevertheless is experiencing these imprints that reflect whatever experience consciousness is having. And we see these images every time we dream. 
many, if not most, dreams are the result of consciousness having experienced during the waking hours, and then consciousness turns off or diminishes. The unconscious then processes those experiences of consciousness that particularly struck it, and these images and scenarios and dramas, etc., are created in response to whatever consciousness was experiencing. Part of what I want to introduce to people is this idea that those images, if they can be understood, can give guidance to consciousness in terms of where to go or what path to take, etc. The assertion I'm making is that the unconscious feedback provides the conscious mind with very valuable data. The unconscious psyche is providing the conscious mind through dreams, fantasies, etc. information about precisely what the conscious mind is unconscious of. The dreams, the visions, etc. act as eyes in the back of the head, basically. Because whatever the conscious mind is seeing, the unconscious mind will then produce a compensatory response to it that shows, in symbolic form, the other side of the situation that the conscious mind cannot see. I know that's maybe a little complicated, but these are just the broad strokes of the general idea of how the conscious and unconscious interoperate and how and why they're valuable to each other. I started talking about fascination, and I claimed that what we are fascinated by is ultimately directed by the unconscious psyche not the conscious mind. The idea is what we're intrigued by, what we're interested in, is in many ways absolutely not a choice. We can choose to reject or deny or repress our fascinations, for example, and maybe those are important choices to make. The fact that we have an impulse or we have a desire, we have an interest in something, it's more a signal of something important that we're unconscious of rather than something to make a moral judgment over. All this is a build-up to a topic I want to introduce, which is astrology. I know this can be a very triggering idea to rationalists, so I hope you'll stick with me because what I'm saying is not contrary to reason. And I feel it's extremely important for people to understand in the, the coming centuries. And the idea is... When we are fascinated by something, what's going to occur to us, what is going to come into our conscious mind are what can be called projections. Projections can be described as fantasies. They can be described as imagination. They can be described as fancy. And they're certainly not going to be accurate, literal descriptions of whatever one is considering or thinking about. They are, in fact, the unconscious compensations to whatever it is we're looking at. So a very good example of this is the alchemists who were fascinated and drawn to studying and looking at and playing with and experimenting with the transformation of matter in the chemistry lab. Back in the 1500s, back in the 1000s, back in the 500s, obviously the people didn't have what we would call a modern understanding of physics or chemistry. They were at the tip of the spear in terms of people even realizing that matter transforms in all these strange and wonderful ways. And so they're drawn by that. And I, I just need to back up and talk a little bit about the discovery of bronze and the discovery of the process of turning ored minerals into bronze and how that created a whole civilization, a whole new age of human civilization that we now call the Bronze Age. Metalsmithing was one of the origins of alchemy, was the origins of chemistry, was one of the origins of the scientific method. And just focusing on extracting ore from the ground and then mining it and then working with fire and heat, etc., allowed people to build tools that were impossible to have 
prior to the discovery of this craft. So flash forward to 500 AD, 1000 AD, etc. You have people who are discovering new minerals or new compounds and they're playing with them in their lab and they're heating them and they're causing evaporation or they're causing distillation. They're separating impurities. They're realizing that within a liquid might be an impurity. So if you just evaporate off the liquid, then you get left with just the solid part that's left behind, etc. And for my interest in the, the human cycle, what I'm most interested in is the fantasies that their minds came up with to describe what they're seeing. Now, a modern chemist would be would probably roll their eyes, couldn't can't even, can't even comprehend what was going on in the minds of these early experimenters with matter. And it's easy for a modern scientist to maybe write off these people or write off this practice or think of them as foolish or deluded or whatever. But they're fascination and labor over a long time and over many centuries as a practice led them to create and write down all these images and fantastical descriptions of the processes that they were witnessing, which was basically humankind first witnessing these transformations with the conscious mind. And so their unconscious mind just came up with spontaneous descriptions like, oh, this is like peacock's feathers, or this is fiery like Mars, or this is subtle like Venus, or they would come up with descriptions of processes such as the green lion swallows the sun. The legacy of the fact they wrote all this down and we have it to look at is that we have a description that the unconscious psyche itself produced in response, in compensatory response, as the conscious mind of these alchemists were focused on trying to understand something that was fundamentally incomprehensible by consciousness at that point in time. And so the legacy of the alchemists is not that they were able to achieve an accurate understanding of molecular processes. And it's not even that they were the forerunners of a practice that ended up being chemistry and physics, etc. But the greatest legacy of the alchemists was they left behind a historical record of descriptions from the unconscious psyche itself of what matter changing form in all its different ways looks like from the perspective of the unconscious psyche. This is a very deep topic, but I'll just leave this topic with one point. And that's the unconscious psyche is familiar with the processes of the unconscious psyche. When it encounters a conscious mind that is beginning to discriminate on a topic that reflects or resembles processes of the unconscious psyche, the unconscious psyche is going to get excited. It's going to get animated and it's going to produce images that makes perfect sense to it to describe what it sees. From the conscious perspective, the alchemists were trying to understand these transformations of matter that it saw before it. And in the process, they discovered, oh, you could heat it up in a bath, you could cool it down, you could burn it, you could ferment it, you could do all these operations to the matter before it. What to the human is matter, to the unconscious is psyche. And so the unconscious psyche erupted with animated fantasies and ideas, and it got very stimulated and encouraged the alchemists to keep continuing down the path that they were on. Because the descriptions and the operations that they were discovering in the lab that they thought were describing 
material transformations. We're in fact describing psychological transformations. The conscious mind of the alchemists were coming up with operations that they called distillation or fermentation or calcination or the reddening, the blackening, the whitening, etc. The reason that the unconscious psyche was so animated by the work that the alchemists were doing was because what they were experiencing in the material realm and most importantly were writing down descriptions of were descriptions that could be applied exactly to transformations in the unconscious psyche that happen all the time that have been happening for hundreds of thousands of years if not millions of years and that you get this small group of people called alchemists who for the first time in history were beginning to touch upon the fact that there is even an unconscious psyche that there is something beyond this mortal realm in which the gods live and they were touching upon the fact that these gods live in quote-unquote the metals and the metals correspond to the gods but the metals are within the earth and need to be mined which correspond to the fact that the gods are ultimately inside each of us where the earth is a metaphor for the body and the gods and these eternal metals gold silver mercury etc that are so valuable to the human species are analogs for eternal powers of the unconscious psyche that also are extremely valuable to the human species and which can be mined and which can then be fashioned into useful or valuable products or tools for the human species to work with. And so after millennia of evolution, of course the unconscious psyche is going to get animated when it sees that some humans have started to touch upon the fact that there is this thing called transformation. Because if people begin to recognize how matter can be transformed, then they're only five centuries away from realizing that the psyche can be transformed. As important as matter is to the human species, psyche, which has been up until this point completely neglected from consciousness, even though we've been operating unconsciously and managing our psyches through religions and mythology, etc. It's an incredibly important topic because at minimum half of the human experience is the psychological experience as opposed to the material experience. And we're currently going through, especially in the last century and continuing into this century, a real crisis of materialism, where whether you think of scientists as materialists who just care about the physical realm and what's happening in the physical realm to the exclusion and even derision of the psychological interests, or you think about, for example, communism, which is, you know, the concretization of matter. Again, like the scientists thinking that the only thing that exists or is important is the material realm. Or you think of the consumerist society that's literally swallowing the earth and destroying the earth by its massive amounts of consumption. That too is a consequence of our completely one-sided belief that the only thing that is real is the material realm and the spirit realm or the religious realm or the psychological realm is just made up and imagination is immaterial. So it's stupid, I guess. So we're going through this massive crisis of one-sidedness in terms of materialism, whether you're a communist, whether you're a capitalist, whether you're a scientist, the exclusive focus has been on the material world. And that one-sidedness has led us to just want to consume, 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 whether it's with communism, just imposing itself on the lives and stamping out the individual personality of so many people or attempting to, or the capitalism and materialism, which is only able to survive in its current form by encouraging people to consume, 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 and just gather more matter towards themselves and surround themselves with matter. And so people buy bigger and bigger trucks and have bigger and bigger houses. And it really begs the question, why are you inflating yourself up so much? To me, it's very clear that there's a cycle 
biological component that people are completely unconscious of, where their relationship to matter is being driven by unconscious psychological imbalances. And one of these psychological imbalances is the belief that psyche doesn't exist. It's just a material world we live in. We're going to increase our overvaluation of the material world until there's a crisis that causes us to see clearly that there is, in fact, this other component, namely the unconscious psyche that has been driving our boat the whole time. So anyway, so coming back to Earth, here's this image of the Zodiac. And the reason I talked about projection and fascination and how the unconscious psyche produces images that no, don't reflect the actual organs of the material world, but the descriptions that the unconscious psyche produces are extremely valuable records of how the unconscious psyche itself operates. And so one extremely incredible, long-lasting topic has been the, the Zodiac. And what is the psychological meaning of it or what are the psychological patterns embedded in it? And I want to bring up one more psychological principle, and that's as long as a process remains unconscious, it's going to continue unimpeded by conscious awareness. There's an idea that if humans have engaged in particular behavior for many millennia, there's two things you know about it. One is that it's highly unconscious, and so it's on autopilot. And the second is that it reflects something real and actual. At a later date, I'll describe the history of the formation of the Zodiac roughly 4,000 years ago. My claim is that the unconscious psyche produced these images and they, they reflect the workings of the unconscious psyche. If people 2,000 years were using these symbols and people today are using these exact same symbols, that means that there's something very archetypal, very deep, very germane to the structure of the unconscious psyche that these images refer to. The symbols of the zodiac are older than the invention of the wheel. They're 3,500 years older than modern English. The fact that they are still operational, that they still make sense to a large number of people indicates Indicates that there's something significant about the patterns that they reveal. The challenge with that is they reveal something that's below the surface. If you're just taking a rational material outlook on life and you're ignoring the psychological aspect of the human experience, then it's going to be meaningless. But if you take the human psyche seriously, and if you can begin to appreciate exactly how powerful the unconscious psyche is, then I suggest it's very valuable to understand what these pairs of opposites embedded in the zodiac symbolize. The whole point of the history of astrology has been to use it as a diagnosing instrument. So in the later video, I'm going to get into what the zodiac reveals about the collective human psyche that we all share.